today are entitled the message, The Glory of God. The Glory of God. The Glory of God. And the first scripture we'll be taking today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Can we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Can you repeat that again for us? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The Bible speaking is saying, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. Now, the first basis I want to start off is, what is glory? Now, glory is a very complex subject matter in the Bible. So, I cannot exhaust every understanding or meaning of it. I'll try my best. Now, glory has to do with light, has to do with shining, has to do with bedazzling brightness and effulgence. Glory, my second definition, is heavy in scope. Glory is worthy. Glory is value. Glory is the heavy presence of God in a place or upon a man. Glory, definition number three, is the, is the visible, tangible reality of the God realm. Glory is meant to be seen. It is the tangible manifestation of the spirit. Definition number four, what is glory? Glory is the manifested presence of God, dazzling light, like I said, and it is splendid weight of God. So the glory of God is the splendid weight of God. So just as you take a block, like a rock, right, and you drop it upon a place, whenever the glory of God saturates a place, it's literally the personality of God invading a space. Fair enough, simple enough, nothing too complicated now. Glory is the weight of God being revealed, like I just said. It is the sum total of the Godhead. Glory is more than visible manifestation. Glory is the essence of God. Glory is God himself. Amen. Shall we go to Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 3? I'm building foundations, so stay with me. Don't go anywhere. Stay with me. Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 3. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. In I the year when Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. 
Bible says, in the same year King Ozia died, I, Prophet Isaiah, I saw <laughs> the Lord lifted upon a high throne. Above it stood the seraphims, each one with six wings, blah, blah, blah. Verse 3, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Stay with me. Don't get lost. Stay with me. Gaze your eyes upon me. Give me your ears. I'm building foundation. At the end, you will understand everything. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, when I was contemplating on this scripture, something struck my mind. The writer in Isaiah is saying, holy, holy is the Lord. And the whole earth is full of his glory. I thought if God is holy, 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 then if something is predominant in a place and is transcending to another place, then it should be the same thing. So this scripture in normal terminology should be holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his work, holiness. Stay with me. The whole earth is full of what? It's what? Holiness. That should be the natural ranger of that scripture. But no, the Bible says the whole earth is full of his glory. We began with holy, 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 and we translated and migrated from holy, holy, holy to glory. I'm making a correlation here. Stay with me. How did we migrate from holy to glory? Stay with me. One of the strongest ways the holiness of God finds actualization and access in the lives of men and on the earth realm is in the form of glory. Stay with me. Glory is the nature of God filling the lives of men through the access point of holiness. Glory is the nature of God filling the lives of men through the access point of holiness. So whenever you talk about the glory of God, the prerequisite is the holiness of God. So if you want to walk in glory, it begins with holiness. Stay with me. Now, what is holiness? If you don't understand holiness, you can never walk in holiness. Holiness is not purity per se. Holiness is not abstinence from youthful lust per se. I'm not saying it is not. I'm saying that is not the totality of holiness. Holiness is not abstinence from fornication and all that junk. No, I am not saying that. Holiness in vital definition means separation. Separation in what's called holiness is the separation from men unto God. Holiness is separation from sin unto righteousness. Holiness is separation from Babylon unto holy Jerusalem. 
Holiness is separation from the heat into holy men. These are a few bullet points I note down. So what is holiness? Holiness is separation. Now, when you look at the, 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 the scripture, Isaiah entered into the throne room of God, and he saw that angels, seraphim, they gathered around the monarch of Zion, and all they were seeing was holy, holy, holy. That word they were repeating, were, that word the angels were repeating, they were literally just telling God, God, you are separate, you are unique, there is none like you. So holiness is not in the state of just abstinence of sin. Those days, I used to think it was purity. That was why I wasn't working in holiness. Holiness is simply separation. It means that God is in his own class. He is different. He is different from every species or every creation or every being that exists. He is in a different class. So when we talk about holiness, we are talking about separation. Now when God tells you to walk in holiness, don't think that it is abstinence for purity. That is a minute side of it. But what God is calling you to is a work of separation. Separation not in a state of isolation or segregation, but separation unto God. It means you come out from men and you look to God. I keep saying this. I said, any man who looks to men can never look to God because your eyes cannot be fixated on two objects. That is why the Bible says looking away and looking unto Jesus. So separation is looking away unto the things of the world and looking to Jesus, the altar, the perfecter of your faith. So from now onwards, holiness is not purity. That is a minute definition. It is basic. It, it, won't, it won't let you strike a chord in your destiny. Because all the time, you'll be living by a law and not by grace. Mm -hmm. If the scriptures are not taught properly, we will not think right. If you don't think right, there will be behavior disorder. That is why I am hard on teaching. If we are not taught right, we cannot think right. If you cannot think right, you cannot act right. If you cannot act right, you cannot behave right. If you cannot behave right, you cannot walk right. If you cannot walk right, you miss your destiny. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Let's go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Yeah. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. This is the totality of the word holiness. It's embedded in that scripture. He said, Come out from them. What is them? Other translation says, come out from the heathen. So on your walk of holiness, the first thing you must understand is that you must separate yourself from men. When I say separation, I'm not talking about isolation and segregation. No. It is the ability to move away from men in order to fixate all your focus and your attention on God. Read that again for us. Second Corinthians chapter six verse seventeen. Wherefore, yeah. come 
out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He said, camels from the heathen. So the first thing you need to understand on your work of holiness is that you must come out from men. Touch not the unclean thing. It means anything that will defile you. Bible says, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He that has a clean hands. He that has what? A clean hands. He that has what? A clean hands. So touch not the unclean thing. It means to not temper with sin. And he said, I, the Lord, will receive you. Why? Because you have separated your soul. Because me, because God himself is separated. So to me, God, you also must be separated. Separation meets separation. God is separated. He said, come out from the heathen. Touch not the unclean thing. I, the Lord, will receive you. Why? Because you have separated yourself. Henceforth, now you can have a connection with me. Because I, the Lord your God, am a separate God. So holiness is not necessarily abstaining from sin. Holiness is separation. The ability to this, the ability to have contact without contamination. Holiness is the ability to have contact without contamination. Jesus said, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. In other words, we are in this world, but the things of this world cannot dominate us. It means contact without contamination. Someone say, how is that possible? By the help of the Spirit. Contact. Without contamination, that is the purest work of holiness. We are, <clears throat> listen, he said, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. It means you must live a life of contact without contamination. It means the systems of this world can contact you, but they cannot contaminate you. It means you can walk around with your friends, they are mundane. They are, they, 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 they are men of lashaviness. But even though you work with them because you ought to, or even though you have to work with them because you ought to, they can contact you, but they cannot contaminate you. Contact without contamination is the surest way of holiness. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Yes. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? We used to sing this song, Who is like unto thee, blah, 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 blah. But we don't understand the scripture. He said, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? Fearful in praises, doing wonders. What does scripture say? He said, What glorious way? Glorious way in holiness. I'm laying foundation. Glorious way in what? Holiness. Glorious in holiness. So where's the glory? In what? 
holiness. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of what? The glory of God. But I thought if we have sinned, then we should come short of what? The holiness of God. Because for what we, they taught us in Sunday school and youth, whatever session, is that sin and holiness are direct opposites. It's not necessarily true. It is, but it's not accurate. Today we are breaking bones and eating meat. We are not drinking milk. So, we usually equate sin to holiness. It's correct, but I'm bringing a higher dimension. So, it says what? For all our sins and our fallen short, it should be the, it should have been, it should have been, if you are thinking logically, it should have been for all our sins. And everyone has fallen short of what? The holiness of God. But it did not say holiness. He said, for all our sin, and everybody has fallen short of what? The glory of God. Listen to this. So holiness is the building product of glory. Holiness is the building material for glory. What the, 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 the component of glory is holiness. The bits of glory is holiness. So if, 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 um, let's take, I'm trying to give an example. Water is H2O, if I'm not wrong. So we have hydrogen and oxygen. So let's say glory is H2O. Now the H and the O should be holiness. Am I making sense? Am I teaching? I'll, I'll stop shouting. Now I teach. So H2O is water. If I haven't forgotten my sign. And that is hydrogen and oxygen. So let's just, let's just for understanding sake, say glory is H2O. So what are the components to make the, the water or the glory? Is the H and the O. And for glory to be made up, it is made out of holiness. Somebody didn't get it, but you get it later. If you don't get it, I don't know what I can do for you. It is the raw material used to sculpture glory. So listen, whenever you squander your separation or your holiness, glory cannot invade your life. When you squander your separation, when you ruin your separation, come on from, the, from them. Touch not the unclean thing. I, the Lord, I will receive you. It means you have what? Squandered your glory. When you squander your separation, glory cannot invade your life. This is deep waters, deep stuff. Stay with me. So, Holiness is in heaven. Stay with me. Holiness is in heaven. When holiness is traveling from heaven to earth, it is transformed into glory or it is manufactured into glory. 
Are you getting it? So holiness is in heaven. Holy, holy, holy Adam. The whole earth is full of your glory. So when the holiness of God wants to find expression on earth, it finds, it finds its expression in the form of glory. When we talk about the holiness of God, coming back to our lives and churches, it will come in the form of glory. Stay with me. You will get it at the end. Hold on. Relax. So if you want to partner with the king of glory, he said, who is the king of glory? Sin must be taught well and must be dealt with. If you want to partner, right, with the king of glory, sin must be taught well and must be dealt well. Now, separation is not part of your life. Or should I say, if separation is not part of your life, glory cannot rest upon your life. And we're going to pray, oh God, I will show me your glory. For you to see the glory of God, you must be separated. When we talk about the glory of God, you must understand separation or holiness. Today we'll talk about sin a bit. Me, I don't like the topic. And I know you definitely don't like it. But we'll talk about it. Because that's the only way I can push the message. Why is sin dangerous? Many of us will give us an answer. Well, if you sin, you die and you go to hell. Good! Because I say that to myself. If I sin, I'll die. But let me give you a deeper exegesis today. Or oh, why should you not sin? If I sin, I will die and I'll go to hell. Good! You will, so don't do it. But I'm bringing a higher plane of understanding. David said, give me understanding and I shall live. So the allocation of your understanding determines the quality of your life. Or the quality of your living. <laughs> the first problem, listen. Now pay attention from here. Don't go anywhere. The first problem about sin is that it affects God more than you. Digest this statement for 30 seconds. What did I say? The first problem about sin is that it affects God more than it affects man. Oh, wait, I will explain. Listen to this. God has two challenges. He's dealing with believers and sinners. Now, the first issue, or probably the only issue God has with sinners, is their nature problem or their nature conundrum. God is not impressed with your lifestyle until you are adopted into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, until you are saved, 
your lifestyle will never matter to God. So the problem God has with unbelievers and sinners is their nature problem. I keep telling this to people that a lot of good people will go to hell. Why? It is not about your lifestyle. It's about the spirit of adoption first. Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new one, creation. So the first emphasis of God is changing your nature. In other words, God must adopt you and bring you into the commonwealth of Zion. He must bring you into the kingdom of his dear son through the instrumentality of salvation. Stay with me. The first point of emphasis, like I said, when God is dealing with any man, is who are they or who are you? The first thing God deals with any man, any man, is who are you? Your nature, your makeup. So the issue or the beef God has with unbelievers is their nature problem. It is because they have not come into Christ. Henceforth, they are not changed into a new creation or creature. Now, for, for you and I, believers, God's issue with us is our conversation. Now, when I say conversation, I'm using King James terminology. When you read the scripture, the Bible says our conversation is in heaven. It's talking about our behavior. Okay? So, the first emphasis for God in a believer's life is his conversation, his lifestyle, his character, and behavior. Stay with me. Because when I'm born again, I am part of God's family. Now, even your earthly father, he wants you to behave or act right in the house and when you go outside. No father wants their son to misbehave or to live a very lashavinous lifestyle at home or outside of home, right? So does God. So the first thing God checks in your life as a believer, as a believer, sorry, is your conversation, your behavior, your lifestyle, your character. So when God is dealing with believers, he deals with us on our character modification. Because now your nature has been settled. You are in Christ. You are a new creation. We have changed the design. We have changed you. We have brought you into a new realm. We have changed you. Now the only problem God has with you is your conversation, meaning your behavior. So after you come into Christ, the next thing is transformation and conformity into the image of Christ. And that's what we call character modification. So the beef God has with unbelievers is their nature. The beef God has with you is your character modification. Because as for you, your nature is good. You, have, you are now after the original image and likeness of God. You have the nature. But now, working in that nature is God's beef with you now. Understood? So, 
I said sin first affects God more than it affects its host. So the next time you go and sin, think about this. I will explain. Sin affects God more than it affects me. I will explain my services. How you live your life matters to God so much. It matters to God. Your father does not want you to go out misbehaving. So that's your heavenly father. I know you say, oh, but forget that. If I sin, I will die. Yes, the wages of sin is death. But I'm bringing to you a deeper consequence. The first consequence of sin is that it affects God. Think about what I just said. Holiness brings the glory of God. Think about it and try to catch it now. Holiness, what? Brings what? The glory of God. Listen carefully. Your lifestyle, Jesus, it matters to God so much. It is everything. After this message, maybe you reduce sinning or you cut off sin. Why does sin affect God more than it affects you? <laughs> but someone said, but I sin, God didn't sin. Hold on. When you sin, you are trying to truncate the purposes of God upon your life and upon the earth realm. Bible says something in the book of Revelation. He said he created all things for his pleasure. Now, God created you for a purpose and for a job. He said he created all things for his pleasure in the book of Revelation. In other words, God created you for his pleasure. God owns you. He created you and he just created you. He even brought you redemptive package, salvation package. So he, only, he owns you double. Stay with me. So whenever you sin, help me Lord. So whenever you sin, what you are telling God is that God, I will not do what you ask me to do. Whenever you say what God intended for you to do for him, you cannot do it. Because sin will sink you. And it will make you think. One of the strongest reasons God created you was for fellowship. Listen to this. One of the high priority reasons God created man for many reasons. One of the high, one of the top priorities God created you is He created you for fellowship, intimacy, koinonia. Now, when you sin, you separate yourself from that. Koinonia, from that fellowship. Because a praying man will stop sinning and a sinning man will stop praying. Anybody who sins perpetually can never pray. I went to a meeting and I saw that these people could not pray. It's not because they, just, they can't pray. 
is because sin is in their life. So whenever you sin, it becomes a roadblock. You can't call upon the name of the Lord. You become guilty. The enemy will point your conscience. So a praying man will stop sinning. A sinning man will stop praying. I know this economy all too well. Huh. You, can't, you can't deceive me on that. Stay with me. So when you sin and disconnect from God, Bible says he created all things for his pleasure. In other words, you are letting God not get his pleasure. He said he created all things for his pleasure, right? That's what he said. So, when you sin and you separate yourself from God, you are bringing bankruptcy of pleasure to God. Hold on. You get it at the end. When you disconnect from God, God will not get his profit from you. When you sin and you disconnect from God, the profit God intended to get from you, you won't get it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Hello. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Yeah. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. He said we are his workmanship, created in Christ. Wow. Turn up in the scripture. Okay. He said, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God has ordained before ordained that we should work in them. Listen. So we are made for good works. God, another reason God created you is for good works. I will explain. Now the question is, who planned or who orchestrated you to do the good work? Or the good works? Obviously God. He says, who has ordained that we should work in them? So in hindsight, you were created to do good works for God. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 means. God created you for certain reasons. And he wants you to do something. And that something is what? We are his workmanship. Created in Christ unto good works. So God has created me in Christ for good works. Which he has ordained. Which, Bible says, which, he, which God has before ordained. Before talks about eternity past. So before you were even your mother's womb, he ordained you for good works. So, when you sin, you are jeopardizing the plans and the purposes of God. 
when you when you sin, you are truncating the good works. Help me, Holy Ghost. When you sin, you cannot fulfill these good works which beforehand you ordained for you to walk therein. So when you sin, you are attempting to hinder the purposes of God, the purposes of God and the plans of God for mankind or for you and I is that we will work in good works because we are his workmanship. So don't look at sin from your own point of view. Look at sin from the point from the from the view, from the point of view of God. Don't look at sin from your own perspective. Oh, if I sin, I will die. I'm telling you, you will die. But that is that is basic. Look at sin from the eternal scope, from the eternal view of point. How does God feel when I sin? What does He do? To the purposes of God. And the purposes of God, which is one of them is embedded in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, is that He created us for good works. Hear me? Life is not about you, life is about His pleasure. Living my best life. Living my best life and you are chilling. <laughs> like the Bible said to the rich man, you fool, today your soul be required. Life is not about living your best life. Life is about giving pleasure. He created you. He created you. In fact, when he created you, you truncated his purposes. Well, I attempted. And he brought you salvation package. So he earns you double. He got earns you double. God invested salvation into you. So he can reap profit. Jesus, listen. I keep saying this that the Jesus coming from heaven to earth was a suicide mission. Imagine he didn't, he didn't resurrect. Imagine, bro, imagine. Imagine he did not resurrect. Or imagine when he came, he sent. Suicide mission. All for you. Matthew 5.16. Let's go there. Matthew 5, 16. Matthew chapter 5, 16. Yeah, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Listen to me very carefully. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good work. <laughs> I'm connecting the scriptures. I'm connecting the scriptures right now. Stay with me. Let your light shine. My God. I feel the word of God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. See? So God created you for good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
So if your light is not shining, listen to this. If your light is not shining and men don't see your good works, what will happen? Think, rhetorical question. Think about that. I'll give you a second to process this. I'm not here to shout. So if your light is not shining and the men don't see your good works, what will happen? Do one plus one plus one. You get it. Let me read the scripture for you again. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good work and glorify your father, which is in heaven. So if my light is not shining and men are not seeing my good work, what is the resultant effect? The resultant effect of me dimming my light and not doing good works is that people will not glorify my father, which is in heaven. They won't glorify your God, which is in heaven. So what have you done? You have deprived God from glory. Now you see why I said sin affects God more than it affects you. If you sin, you cannot do good works. If you can't do good works, your light is not shining. So men will not see your light, they won't see your good works. And what will happen? Deprivation of the glory of God. So what God was supposed to get from seeing you is that when he sees you, you walk in good works. Men will see you and say, Father, we give you glory for Emmanuel. Men will see you and say, Father, we give you glory for John. Men will see you and say, Father, we give glory for Enoch. What did I say? From the beginning, I said sin affects God when I affect you. When they taught you, eh, no, sin affects you. Yes, but it's shallow. I show you it's shallow. When you sin, you are depriving God from glory. Why am I saying that? Ephesians 2 verse 10, where is workmanship created in Christ unto good work before, before, from the time God ordained it. Now, if Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine that men will see your good works and glorify your father. So if I'm living in sin perpetually, what I'm doing is that I'm dimming my light because sin is darkness. I'm dimming my light. If I dim my light, men will not see me, will not see the good works I'm doing for my father. And henceforth, God will lose glory. So when you, are, when you sin, you're obscuring the brightness of God on earth. Because when you walk on the path of righteousness, it's like you're radiant, you're forging. So men will see this light and say, wow, this is the light of God. And the city set on a hill cannot be hid. So when you sin, what do you do? You deprive God from glory. When you sin, you are reducing God's glory on earth. That's what you're doing. In other words, your light is dim. You don't do no good works. So men will not see you and glorify God. So who is losing? God. So whenever you sin, God loses more than you think he, he, he does. 
when you sing, God loses more than you do. Obviously, will I die? Yes, you die. The profit you ought to give God is glory from your lifestyle. As your life shines. Bible says, John 5.35, for John was a burning and a shining light. So John's life was an affordance of light. And when men saw John, they gave glory to God. How do I give God glory? By my good works. But if I sin, I can't do good works. Henceforth, God doesn't get the glory. So living in sin brings a bankruptcy of the glory of God on earth. He said, holy, holy, holy are thou. And the whole earth is full of his glory. It means when you don't walk on the path of separation or holiness, you deprive God of glory. So you can sin and make it to heaven. That's fine. That's what many of us want to do. And how, how my sin can I commit for me to make it to heaven? You may have gained, but God has made a loss. Because the salvation and the redemptive package was like this. God was like, wait, I will save them. Give them eternal life. And as I do this, my return of investment is growing. Because now they'll begin to live right. They'll begin to walk on the path of righteousness. They'll begin to do good works. Because everybody likes everything that is good. And as they do the good works, men will, men will see them and give me the glory. That was the salvation package. That was the ideology behind the salvation package. Many of us just want to, you know, do the minimum and go to heaven. How much can I sin? Someone asked me a question on the, I think on Zoom. So what is the allocation of sin for me to get to heaven? Mundane thinking, shallow vanity. It's like you're trying to tell your examiner, what is the pass mark? If he says 50%, you're trying to get 50%. Yes, you can sin. You make it to heaven. Yes, it's more than possible. Because there's an allocation. But salvation package, they didn't have just you in mind. They also had God in mind. God also factored what he would get out of the salvation package. So I'm telling you this. When God was bringing the salvation package, he factored what he was going to get from it. And what he was going to get from it is glory. And you get eternal life. It's a win-win situation. All party win. But now we are winning and God is losing. Don't live your life anyhow. It's not just about you. God is also part of it. Some of you don't even care. Christ came down to fulfill a suicide mission. Thanks be to him. And all he asks is that you do good works. And for you to good, do good works, you must work in separation. Sin must be cut off. So he gets the glory. But you are depriving him of glory. He said, I will share my glory with no man. 
but we are cutting it and sharing it. But he, we choose to sin and squander his glory. Majority of Christians are selfish and mundane. Selfish and mundane. All they think is, oh, if I do this, I won't go to hell, so I will do it. It's not about that. It's not about what will happen to you. It's about what will happen to God or what God will get in return. When you do what is right, God gets the glory. When you live in righteousness, God gets the glory. He said, the sons of Levi, I'll purify them as gold and silver is purified. And they'll offer unto me right offerings of righteousness. Malachi chapter 3 verse 3. Yes, you didn't go to hell. That's good. But God didn't get his glory. Listen to this. If you're in business, listen to this. Some of you, I know you guys are in cryptocurrency and stock market. Listen to this. If you're in business, right? Or if you're a businessman, would you invest in a business that looks like your life? Hold on. You said you do stock markets. If you're a businessman, and let's say we have a coin, Bitcoin, and your life is like the Bitcoin. Would you personally invest? Would you personally invest in that coin? Let's say your life is Bitcoin. You as a businessman, would you, no, no, not somebody, you yourself, would you invest in that coin? You are always down the chart. Once a while, then you come up all the time, right? Would you invest in your life or would you invest in that coin? Think about it. Same thing. You are like a coin God has invested in. Bible says the lost coin. The lost coin, the lost sheep. And what was the third one? I forgot. There was three lost. Lost coin, lost sheep, and I forgot. What was the last one? I think he used three uh, uh, imagery points. I forgot the last one. If your life was like cryptocurrency and as a businessman, would you invest in it? Because you, you're always down. You never go up the chart. You never bring profit to God. You never bring profit to the kingdom of God. Would you invest in your life? Think about it. God, listen to this. God does not exist for you. You exist for God. We live for him. God doesn't live for you. You live for him. He created all things. Bible says for his pleasure. You know, people give teachings, oh, but you have to think about the future. Forget that. That is, that is basic. Or oh, live there because of future. Good. That's fine. But I'm bringing a higher plane of understanding. It's not about you. Many of us don't know the purpose of life. The purpose of life is that we'll bring pleasure and glory to God. He said he created all things for his pleasure. For we are his workmanship. It means you are God's product. And, what you, and, the, and the emphasis of your life is to do good works. And as you do the good works, you bring glory to God. So God invested in you for you to reap glory for him. 
but you are squandering it, perpetually living in sin and lashaviness. It is easier to walk in lashaviness than to walk with holy men. The purpose of life is this, that your light will shine. You fulfill good works and God will get the glory. The glory of God. But all we care is the initiatives or the incentives or the benefits. Breakthrough, healing, miracle money. It's good, but you are shallow. Because the purpose of life is that we ought to bring in pleasure, not for your pleasure only. Yes, I told you it's a win-win situation. But he is the originator. He's the A-side. God is the A-side. When there's a boxing fight, they give AJ, the A-side, more money. But now we act as if we are the A-side. But who did all the work? All you have to do is just have faith and receive. Free. But many of us live as if God owns us. And God, if you don't do this, I'll backslide. 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 Nobody cares. Backslide. God doesn't owe you nothing. You owe him your life. You owe him double. Because in, in, when Adam sinned, he fell short. That's one. And he came back with salvation package. You owe God double. So be grateful to him. And try and walk on the path of holiness and bring glory to God by letting your life shine. Do good works. Men will see you and give glory to Abba Father. It's not about you. God is a very good God. I realize God is very good. Bible says his mercy is enjoyed ever. Because of his mercy, we are not consumed. When you sin, God loses. I'm bringing a higher plane. This is not we next week you see the miracle. We, 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 we practice light Christianity. I know my messages are hard. Uh, it's what it is. I told somebody, you don't speak the Bible with me, so you can't tell me what to teach. When you sin, God loses more than you think. You are tampering with the purposes of God because you are his workmanship created in Christ unto good work before God, before, before God ordained for you to work therein. I will say, what do you mean when I sin? Let me give you three scriptures, then we pray. Genesis 39, verse 9. Genesis 39, verse 9. Oh, I'm almost done. Genesis 39, verse 9. Genesis? Yeah, Genesis 39, verse 9. Okay. Genesis I'm, bringing, I'm bringing all kinds of scriptures to do. Genesis 39, verse 9. Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither have he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, Joseph was in Potiphar's wife. Now, Potiphar's wife, like, <laughs> I'm going to say something. I will say it. Now, Potiphar's wife wants to seduce and, you know, smash Joseph, right? And Joseph. Listen to the rendering of Joseph. He said, 
There is none greater in this house than I. Never has he kept back anything from me. So Joseph is paying respect to Potiphar. But when he came to the end, what did he say? He said, how can I do this great wickedness against my God? Joseph was about to commit adultery and fornication. Joseph at this time did not have the Bible. There was no Bible at, in Genesis 39 verse 9. There was no Bible. The only thing that there was was your, 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 cognitive your non-cognitive relationship with God. Your prayer and the, there was no Bible. But what did Joseph say? He said, how can I sin against my God? Theoretically speaking, who was, who was Joseph about to violate? He was about to violate Potiphar because he was going to betray Potiphar and smash his wife, right? But Joseph said, no, that is mundane. That is shallow. Yes, master, I have violated you. But firstly, I have violated God. So the question is, how did God get there? And I said to you, sin affects God when I affect you, when you commit it. So whenever you sin, the first person you violate is God. Psalm 51 verse 4. Let's go. Um, Psalm 51 verse 4. Yeah. Okay. Psalm 51 verse 4. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Now David has gone and taken, is it Bathsheba's wife, if I'm not mistaken? Bathsheba's wife, right? Now, he has been taking Bathsheba's wife, smashed everything, even killed the man. But when he was confessing, he said, against thee and thee only. Ah, wait, David, you commit adultery. You took someone's wife. You killed the guy. Now, when the thing, when the Holy Ghost through the, through the mouthpiece of Prophet Nathan comes to you, and then you are convicted, you confess, he said, against thee and thee only. Have I sinned? David didn't say, I have sinned against God. He said, against thee and thee only God. It is only you have I sinned against. But he killed a man. He took his wife. How does that make sense? Okay. Bathsheba is the woman. All right, thanks. Is it Uriah, right? Uriah, right? Okay. Uriah, okay. Good. When David sinned, he said, only thee and thee only have I sinned against. I... You know, you don't, you don't take your time in the scriptures. Take your time with it. Think. Against thee and thee only. God, only you have I committed this treason against. Not even Uriah or Bathsheba. 
nobody on you. But he killed a man. He took a man's wife. And I made a statement at the beginning. Sin affects God when I affect you. Luke 15, 21. Then we pray. Luke chapter 15, verse 21. Yeah. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. He said, Father, I have sinned against where? Heaven. What is the first place he, the prodigal son had noticed he has sinned? Heaven. Heaven substituted for God. And he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So whenever you sin, it, it affects God more than you think. Think about it. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Heaven is heavenly father. Then I have sinned against you. So the prodigal son mentioned his heavenly father, the father above, before he mentioned the father beneath. So the first and the consequences of sin is first in relation with God before any other variable. Every sin is against God. If you want to walk in glory, depart from iniquity. Walk on the path of righteousness. Come out from the heathen and hide the Lord. I receive you.